My husband, Tim, recently introduced me to a new word. After being an intern here for nearly two years, you all have probably figured out that I love the breadth and nuance of language. And, well, a good word is one of the things that I delight in most in this life. We were driving down the highway, and he pointed to this grove of beech trees on the side of the road with their dried, dead, translucent leaves clinging to the wintered branches. Do you know what that's called, he asked? I didn't. Does anyone have a guess of what last year's leaves still clinging to the branches of trees are called? There is a word for that. Marcescence. Marcescence. I love everything about this word. I love the way it sounds, rolling off the tongue. I love that someone came up with a word to expand how we understand nature and ecosystems. I love how it names something that we all see out of the corner of our eyes and brings it into our attention. I love that someone thought that we needed more ways to describe the unbelievable complexity and diversity of our world. And I love what it represents. Biologists have many theories about why trees do this, why they hold on to their dead leaves. One is that the leaves protect the newly sprouting buds from grazing by deer and other herbivores. Others theorize that the leaves hold water that helps the new buds to grow, protects the plants from the elements. All so that they can eventually fall away and allow new growth to push up beyond the scraggly branches to expand the life and breadth and possibility of the tree. Language can be so beautiful and surprising, can't it? It can help us define and make sense of the world around us and our place in it. And it can be hard. There are moments when it seems we have too little words to adequately capture the essence of the realities in our midst. And there are other times when the words we use to describe people, identities, and issues seem to be expanding at such great a rate that it is hard to keep up. Language can be both limiting and liberating. It has the power to witness, to elevate and heal, and it has the power to deny, to oppress, and to hurt. In this month when we are exploring compassion, I am wondering about the tools of communication that we have around us and how they might help us practice this like the marcescent foliage on the beach's winter branch, how might our words, our ways of communicating, provide protection and balance and nurturance to this turning and seasonal world and allow new growth to spring up in our midst? As much as I love language and putting words together, it is also 
deeply challenging. Getting up into this pew to share words with you all is a struggle. What if I use the wrong ones? What if I can't find the right ones? What if there aren't right ones at all to describe what often seems like indescribable parts of this life? What if I hurt someone? I've had my share of moments of regret, looking back and wishing I had said something different, chosen different words. As I've moved through my own life, my language has expanded alongside my world, and much of that is a product of relationships, of people telling me how a particular word or way of communicating impacted them. During our Transforming Hearts Transgender Inclusion series that some of us have been taking, we're focusing on unpacking the gender binary, which is inviting us outside of the traditional male and female ways of understanding identity. Human beings are complex mix of our biology, the ways we express ourselves to the outside world, and the identities that we hold. And because of this, binary either-or notions of identity, like he and she, male and female, don't offer enough breadth and depth to adequately describe the myriad ways that individuals understand who they are, who they are at their core. And the more we listen, particularly to voices that have been historically pushed to the margins, the more our language changes. BIPOC, LGBTQ, and disability communities have been advocating for decades for more inclusive language to name, honor, and value their experiences and identities. Because there is power and healing in being able to express oneself authentically in the world, to name that expression in a way that feels authentic, and then to have that reflected back by the people around us. Saying someone's chosen name and pronouns, using inclusive language, honoring how someone chooses to tell the truth of who they are, is a practice of witness, and it is also a practice of love. As we've been reflecting on language and identity these last weeks, I find myself thinking back on my life and wishing that I had had more ways to define my experiences. This is something that I've so appreciated about being a Unitarian Universalist parent and watching my kids grow up learning more ways to define and understand the divine, what it means to make change in the world, and who they are in the midst of it all. They have so much more language than I ever had, language that they are adding to every day with their presence and their voice. And as we learned during the time for all ages, the language of our own faith is changing, right? Our living tradition, which means that old leaves will fall off to make room for new ones. 
we get to define and redefine and define again what is most important, what is of most value to our present moment, particularly from those who our society and our own denomination have pushed to the margins. As our wonder box shared, this is resulting right now as we gather here today in changing language to reflect more and more of the lived experience of our people. In these ways, Unitarian Universalism has been actively calling us to this practice of widening the circle for many years. Widening the circle. A report of that name that was commissioned by the UU board in 2017 laid out a framework for how to dismantle white supremacy and other systems of oppression within our denomination. In an essay excerpt from that report, Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt calls us, she says, to learn a language of resilience and liberation in response to the pain of this world we have inherited. This universalist theology of liberation, she says, in the present day centers our capacity to be sanctuaries of radical truth-telling and abundant compassion so that the all-encompassing love at the center of our tradition can serve to make us all more whole. Radical truth-telling, abundant compassion that serves to make us all whole. And this wholeness is possible when the edges of our world expand in ever-widening circles of inclusion and witness. And within the overwhelm of language that stretches us beyond our own individual selves and identities is a wholeness that we all get to rest in. None of us are whole, right? Until the circle is so wide that no one is outside it. And this brings us back to the power and transforming force of naming and defining more of our world in these ever-widening circles. Writer and activist Bell Hooks, in her book All About Love, has a whole chapter entitled, Give Love Words. Definitions, they say, are vital starting points for the imagination. We cannot imagine, cannot come into being that, what we, that which we can't define. A good definition marks a starting point and lets us know where we want to end up. Now, Hooks was talking about definitions of love, but isn't that what all our language is at its center? An expression of love? New definitions and words allow us to communicate more compassionately with one another, to share our truths and receive each other's, and thus expand our imaginations and what is possible in this life. What new configuration of branches, 
what novel shaping of our forest canopies and expanse of growth might come from our starting points. Those new buds of definition waiting under the leaf growth to emerge. So I invite us to reflect on language as a practice of compassion, a spiritual practice of our faith and a practice of love. And like any practice, it is one that we aren't going to get right all of the time. When we misspeak, when we misgender a beloved, when we use words that hurt, we get the chance to recenter and reorient around community, to say, I see you, to try again. And in this space of practice, we are also invited to offer our own language new words to describe and tell our truths, to have those words reflected back. This giving and receiving, an act of holy witness, an act of love. You are who I love, the poet said. You selling roses out of the silver grocery cart, you with henna on your feet and a gold star in your nose, you at the edges and the shores, in the rooms of quiet, in the rooms of shouting. And each of us looking out from the gorgeous unlikelihood of our lives at all, finding ourselves here, witness to each other's tenderness. No one alive today has the full lexicon all the ways of saying, the ways of giving words to where we want to end up. So let us keep naming. And just as last year's leaves die on the branches to cover and make space for the buds to emerge, so too must our language, old ways of communication, sit back and allow what is beneath to grow out and up and beyond. Let us imagine new ways to define those parts of life that we catch out of the corner of our eyes, new ways to communicate and receive the threads of love that move between us. Let those of us who have struggled with too little words to tell their truths, let them offer new ones. In this ever-expanding, ever-widening circle of care, this practice of our faith that says, you are who I love, you and you and you and you and you are who I love. Amen, and may it be so.